0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church.
1: For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo.
0: So before I knew Christ, I grew, up in a church, I grew up in a home that was very centered around going to church. So we went to church, my goodness, four, sometimes five times a week. We were involved in one facet, uh, choir, helping out, something was going on. But at home, we were very different. I I, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. It was very hard for me growing up in that kind of atmosphere. Uh, I was constantly keeping myself busy. But it wasn't enough. I didn't understand what it looked like to have a relationship with God. Um, To me, I, uh, I was taught that as long as you read, you're good, you're set to go. You prayed the sinner's prayer and you can't go wrong. But it it didn't seem right. I remember going to uh, uh, Minnesota for Thanksgiving during college, one of one of the years, and I was invited to go, me and like four of the friends. So we went to go to a church called Way of the Lord. Now, mind you, I walk into a church that is not what I grew up in seeing. They had worship for a good 45 minutes. They prayed for a good hour. I'm like, oh goodness, two hours have come by and the script is not over. Next thing I know, I have, there are people will come up and pray over us and lay hands. And I didn't grow up in a church like that. So to me, it was a little unusual. One of the men start praying and saying, Ben, you have been told all your life, like father, like son. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to be anything like him. He's so. He has struggles. I'm gonna, and because you tell, you say that enough to somebody, you begin to believe it. Um, and he says, "But you're not to be anything like your earthly father. But instead, you'll be a father to your children, like God the Father is to you." And I just started weeping for two things: realizing that that God sees me and also that I'm to be like my heavenly father. I had complete peace after that. And from there, I hear the Lord in whatever way you want to say you heard the Lord. Ben, I love you. You're my son. I know you, trust in me and everything is gonna be okay. And I still get reminded of that, because sometimes I forget. But that's the one thing I run back to, that, that moment where God is so gracious, so loving and so patient, to remind me that same thing. I love you. And you can rest in my, rest in my arms, rest in my. rest in me. And I invite you to just come to him as you are, because it's not about what you can do for him. It's all about what he's done for you.
1: What a great story. What a great testimony. I love how God spoke uniquely to Ben and what Ben needed to hear. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you. And I I hope what sinks in this morning as well is this idea that God sees you. And that God knows you and that God loves you. And in particular during this season, I pray that that sinks in in our lives. It's a great story. Well, good morning, church. All right, well, as you've seen since uh, late October, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. (laughs) Every year, earlier and earlier. And with Christmas comes the pressure, the stress of giving the perfect gift. We want to be good gift givers. And in particular, we want to give that one gift that's going to leave everybody talking. We want to give that one gift that for the rest of the week people are still using. We want to give that one gift that in rare times changes somebody. And I realize that that can be pressure and stress, but I'm here to help. I have uh, my annual Christmas giving guide. So I would like to show you a few gifts and maybe help you out during this holiday season. Here's the first one. Yes. That's called the puking cat gravy boat, which it seems like they're using for salsa, but that would work too. Now, two things probably crossed your mind. First, gross. Second, I know who needs that. (laughs) So you have somebody in mind already, and that could be one of those things. And for $26 and a little Google of puking cat gravy boat, it could be yours. All right, here's the next one. Kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? (laughs) This one's called the Bumper Dumper, (laughs) right? And, And here's the thing. Here's why I love this. If you've ever had a road trip with your children and you've stopped at a rest stop and everyone's gone to the bathroom and you get back in the car, how long does it take before one of your children has to go again? Like 10 minutes tops. You're like, we just stopped. We're not stopping again. This tests the validity of their need. Like, if you have to go, we have the bumper dumper, we'll just put it on. <laughs> really, you have to go? All right, here we go. So uh, $69.95, that can be yours. Now we wanna, we wanna up the game a little bit. Those are good, but there's better out there. This next one here. It's the flying bicycle. It's brilliant. How many of you live in West Salem? How many of you hate bridge traffic? How many of you would love to soar over the bridge traffic on your flying bicycle? Yes, as you point down and wave at all the people below you. It has a, like a parachute, and it goes 25 miles an hour. It said, I watched the video, it seemed like it would fall out of the sky at that speed, but it does. It flies, and then you could wave at everybody down below. $45,000. <laughs> You're worth every penny. You really are. All right, here's the next one. Uh, it's a treadmill climbing wall. A never-ending climbing wall. And I, I don't know if I like this one or this one saddens me. It's some kind of metaphor for like a job that you might have had. <laughs> you just feel like I keep climbing and I'm not getting anywhere. And so I don't know. $9,000. I don't know if that one's worth it. We can pass that one up. I love this one. Now this picture does not do this one justice. It is nine feet wide nine feet long, and shoots a three-foot flame from its mouth. And here's why I love this one. You could be that neighbor. When the kids are playing in the street or when the kids are at soccer practice and you zoom this thing over them at 70 miles an hour, shooting flames out of its mouth. Yes, epic. People will be flying everywhere. That could be you for... $60,000. All right, let's bring it back down to affordable again. There you go. There's a whole lot to take in in that picture. But I do want to point out there's a fan. There's a fan in the top to keep the airflow going. And the middle picture is some kid in church. I get it. I understand. And as a matter of fact, I'm not even preaching next week, so feel free. (laughs) Purchase one, come back. All right, just a couple more real quick. This one, this is brilliant. Uh, This is uh, whack-a-mole. Do you remember playing whack-a-mole? Yeah, but this is customizable whack-a-mole. What you do is you send in pictures, and they make the moles into these molds of the pictures. So the ad says an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. A boss you didn't like. That certain family member. But I think here at Salem Alliance, it would be so much better if it was Steve Fowler. (laughs) If we had a -a whack-a-mole with Steve Fowler, you'd pay for that, wouldn't you? Afterwards, we're going to have an offering (laughs) because our staff needs this. It's it's $35,000. One more. One more. Because this next one, this is a 3D pancake printer. I love smart people because this is the perfect marriage of food and science. It has an SD card. You just load whatever picture you want and then you load your pancake batter in there and it prints it out and it cooks it up for you. $300 worth every penny, right? A gift that could change someone's life is the 3D pancake printer. It's brilliant. Now, we love giving good gifts and we spend... An unusual amount of time during this season searching for that perfect gift. But what we really want to do, in particular in this month of December, is we want to pause. And we want to remember and we want to celebrate the perfect gift that was given to us. You see, we received a gift that changed us forever, that changed everything forever. And that's what we want to celebrate. And that's why we stop and we look at the same story year after year after year. Because it changed everything. And, and this was the proclamation that the angel made to the terrified shepherds. Everything is about to change. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Literally good news there is the gospel. The angel saying, I'm bringing you the gospel, the good news, the news that brings joy. Now that's a loaded phrase. Good news, gospel is a loaded phrase. It doesn't just mean the daily news, which is rarely good news. But it means this. It means history-making, life-changing news. When Greece defeated Persia in a battle, they sent evangelists, is what they called them, to share the gospel with all of their people. And they went to their people and they shared this message. We have fought for you and now you are free. It was news that changed everything. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is news that changes our standing forever. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about that during this Advent season. We're kicking off a four-week series called This Changes Everything. Because Christ came, the incarnation, because deity became humanity, because the word became flesh, everything changed. We went from being far to draw near. We went from excluded to being included. We've gone from despair to hope. Everything's changed. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about that move from despair to hope. And despair is just the absence of hope. It's just discouragement, desperation, anguish. It's giving up. And and we've probably all had seasons of despair. And maybe your season was short and maybe your season continues and is ongoing. But we've been offered hope. We've been offered confidence. This expectation. One of the definitions of hope is fullness. Because Christ came because we have Christmas, we can have fullness. We can have a living hope because our hope is living. But how do we do it? How do we land there? I love every year. I love that we get to come back to the same story because I think the story is beautiful. And I think it's amazing and I think there's always something new to learn, but every time I come back to the Christmas story, I'm struck by the same thing over and over and over again. It just doesn't seem right. It it in some sense seems a bit ridiculous. It is not how I would have written the story. You don't write the story this way. You don't write that God's son is going to come to some In the middle of nowhere, backwater town. You don't trust the Son of God to teenage parents. You trust very little to teenagers, period. But the Son of God to teenage parents? And you don't take the Son of God and and have him born in a stable, in a manger. See, what you do is you write him into Rome. You write him into the power center among powerful people so that the word can go out among the leadership. But that's not how it worked. And another thing you notice is, God, why did you take so long? Why did it take so long for you to make this happen? Your timing seems off. Now, I would never say that to God, but I get this sense. Now, we know that God's timing is perfect. Galatians 4 tells us this when the right time came, when the perfect time came, God sent his son. It it was the perfect time, but it took a while. It took a long time and people questioned God's timing. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, there are many prophecies about the coming Messiah. There are many prophecies about the deliverance that was to come. And so naturally what this did was it stirred hope in people. When you hear this promise that God is going to change everything, hope begins to rise. And so some of the prophecies are this, Isaiah seven fourteen tells us the Lord will give you this sign. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, so God's going to come. A virgin's going to have a child. It's going to be amazing. Hope rises. Isaiah 9, 6. A child is born to us. A son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be all of these amazing things. And hope rises. Micah chapter 5 even tells us the exact place that it's going to happen. It says, Bethlehem, you're only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past, and hope rises. And time and time again in the Old Testament, we see these prophecies and we see hope rising. So it is written, and so let it be done. Now, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And probably in your Bible, it's just separated with a page here. And to us, it doesn't look like much, but what this page represents is 400 years. And not just 400 years, this page represents 400 silent years. 400 years where there were no more prophecies. There were no prophets. There were no books being written. God was not moving in ways that were visible to everybody. 400 years of silence. And it's not as if God wasn't moving. God was certainly moving. It's as if the curtain went down on act one and God was rearranging the set and the scenery so that when the curtain came back up, everything was different. But is that your perfect timing, God? I mean, for us, we look at this and we go, yeah, it's just a page. That's no big deal. It's just history. It's ancient history. But to the people, think about how they responded. Think about how you would react as the days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years, turn into decades, it's lifetimes, it's centuries, nothing. And the hope that was stirring turns into despair because we can get wrecked in the waiting. Proverbs chapter 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What do we do in that waiting? How do we wait? Because I think us as a culture, we are pathetic at waiting. We have instant everything. Everything happens like that. We don't like to wait. We don't like to stand around. We get anxious and nervous. And thankfully, we have our cell phones to show that we're still important. And we have things to do. And so we can pull out our cell phones when we're waiting and watch cat videos. And send gifts and emojis to people and be really important. But, but mentally, what happens to us when we wait? I mean, you can start by being watchful and and hopeful but the more time that goes on the more that the questions begin to rise in us the more time that goes on as we're waiting the more that discouragement arises in us and we lose focus and we get frustrated and we tend to wander and we tend to just be like ah I'm done waiting I mean visually let me kind of stir this emotion in you look at this picture (laughs) Oh. <laughs> we know what that's like. Now, if you had a flying bicycle, <laughs> go ahead to the next picture. Remember when in class time went into this no passing zone <laughs> and you just sat there forever and waited and lost focus? Here's the last one. This might typify it exactly. <laughs> You've been there, right? You've been in that line. What, how do those pictures make you feel? What emotions rise in you when you see those pictures? Just anxiousness and and frustration, and and we don't like that. And and you can see how people can slip into despair. You can see how people would lose hope in all of this waiting. God, is that really your timing? Is that your timing with the birth of your son? Is, is Is this your timing now? But when the curtain rises on the New Testament, we find people... Faithfully waiting. We find people who throughout those silent years, they didn't have the New Testament yet. They're the beginning of the New Testament. And yet they were waiting faithfully. Luke chapter 1 shows us Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. They're waiting. They're waiting for deliverance. They're waiting for a child. They're old and, and they've kind of put away the dream of having a child. But God comes along and answers a prayer that they probably had stopped praying. And then we see Mary waiting. Now, Mary is not waiting for a child, but Mary is waiting for deliverance. And we see that in the the poem that she has in the book of Luke. It's called the Magnificat. And it's this powerful poem where she says, God, you remembered. God, you delivered because she was waiting for that deliverance. She knew what the promises were and she was continuing to wait on those. We see a man named Simeon. It says he was a devout man, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come. Luke chapter 2, we also see Anna. She was a prophet. It says she was very old, and she was always in church worshiping, and it says she was waiting expectantly for God to rescue. How do we live in that waiting with hope? Because for them, the, the hope was coming. The hope was right there. The gift that would change the world, that would change everything, was right there. Hope was born. John chapter 1 says that the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Christ came, that perfect gift that changes our status forever. Christ wrote himself into his own story. Christ wrote himself into our story and changed everything. He brought the hope and the healing that this world desperately needs. And and even the last part of our story is written. The last part of the whole story, you can read it. You can see who wins. You can go to the end of the story. But the hard part, the difficult thing for us is that we still live somewhere between hope coming and the end of the story. And our lives unfold to us one page at a time, one day at a time. We get to read basically one sentence at a time as we take one step at a time. And even though we know hope has come, we're stuck in the waiting. And we're stuck with this idea that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. The same way that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Simeon and Anna would have understood things, this isn't how it's supposed to be. We're still there. Even though the hope has come, we're still waiting. We're waiting for things to change. We're waiting for healing to come. We're waiting for wholeness to come. We're waiting for that relationship to be made right. We're waiting for that prodigal to return. We're waiting for injustice to be turned into justice. Hope has come, everything has changed, but we live in this tension between a promise fulfilled and a promise not yet realized. We live in this tension between the already and the not yet. And sometimes that hope that we know about begins to rise in us and sometimes despair takes over because we look around us and we see pain and we see suffering and we see disappointment. And it can be disastrous to us. But Scripture says that we can live differently. Because of Christmas, we can live differently. Because we have hope. I want to spend the time we have remaining looking at a passage that uh, is not a typical Advent passage. Because it's not the Christmas story. But it is in 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn there. If you want to grab one from the pew it's on page 1023 and what I love about when Peter writes is Peter's the apostle of hope Peter loves the word hope and probably because of his story there's probably something in Peter's story that causes him to lean into this 1st Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 3 it says all praise to God The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So he begins it with with this. This is what he says. This is another translation, but I think this really nails uh, what it's saying. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Without Jesus, there's nothing to look forward to. But because Christ came, there's hope. Because there's Christmas, we can be born again into a living hope. And that phrase, living hope, means this. And I I love how this is uh, in the original language. It means an energetic expectation. Would that describe you? Would that describe how you're living? With this energetic expectation, infused with life, carrying with it the undying power of the certainty of fulfillment. You see, when we put our faith in Christ, this living hope is is placed within us. And this living hope doesn't mean that our hope is living in that way that we would say Christ is alive. He is our hope. He is living. This is saying, no, within us as believers in Christ is a living hope. That we are to have this energetic expectation, that we are somehow infused with life, this confidence, this certainty that looks forward. This is who we are. This is what we have received. This is how we're supposed to live. How many of you have seen uh, the Christmas movie Elf? All right. It's a good one. Elf lives with energetic expectation if you've seen the movie. All along, he's like, I like smiling. Smiling's my favorite. That's just what he does. That's just how he lived. He he just, everything is good. Everything's gonna work out. He can walk through difficult things because he has this hope. He has this belief in in Christmas. Now, it's not a naive belief that we have. What, What was given to us doesn't mean that we avoid suffering or that we don't take it for real and we don't look at suffering. Because as as Peter is writing this passage in verse 6, he says, You will have to suffer. You will have griefs and many kinds of trials. That suffering will come, and that's fine. Our living hope doesn't mean that we look away from suffering. Our living hope means that we understand how to get through suffering. Because in order to get through this life, we have to be able to get through suffering. And the way to do that well, the way to do that according to the gospel, is this living hope. The only way that we're going to get through life is if we have an understanding about how to get through suffering. But what's our usual response to suffering? How do we usually approach suffering? Usually it's a little bit distant. There's a few options. You you can become angry. You can be bitter. You can give up. You can check out. You can lose hope. You can begin slipping into despair. Those are options. Another really popular option is that you begin to lean more into things, into stuff. Like suffering comes and you think, well, if I just had more stuff, then I would be happier and this suffering wouldn't be so bad. And we see that around Christmas time, don't we? Yeah, what's going to make everything better is, is these gifts, these things that we are looking forward to. And we all see the irony, right, in having Thanksgiving, a day where we all go, I am so thankful for the things I have, immediately followed by Black Friday. Which is, man, I really need that, and I really need that, and I really need that. And so we begin to put our hope in what we have into things, thinking that those will somehow become our confidence. Those will be the things that we can lean on. Those will be the things that bring us joy. But the thing is, is suffering is a stripping away of finite things, Suffering is taking those things and stripping them away from us. You see, when we put our hope in our abilities and our health and our wealth and our position and in our possessions, we're going to end up leaning towards despair because those things can be taken away. When you think that your hope is your job or that raise or your spouse or your family or your 401k... You're going to have shaky times in your life because the market's going to change. And the market's going to take a nosedive sometimes. And, And people are going to change. And your health sometimes is going to change. And if our hope is in things that can be shaken, then we will be shaken. If our hope is in things that are finite, then we're going to lean towards despair. We have to have a living hope in something that can't be taken away. It has to be imperishable and unshakable and infinite. That's the foundation for our hope. And that's why the gospel invites us to build our hope on the foundation of Christ. That's what he says in, in verse 3. Born again into a living hope. And it can't be shaken. It's an inheritance, he says, that is kept In heaven for you. And that word kept just means it's secure, it's pure, it's undefiled, it's beyond the reach of change. That's part of what our hope is, is that our inheritance isn't here. Our hope isn't in stuff that can be shaken. Our hope is kept in heaven. It is unshakable. Because of Christmas, because our hope was born in a manger, because our hope was crucified and resurrected, we can have this living hope, this solid hope. And it's only in Christ. Ephesians chapter two, verse 12 says that. Apart from Christ, we have no hope. Apart from Christ, there is no lasting hope. Everything else can be shaken. But our hope is kept for us. That's what keeps us looking forward. That's what allows us to live in energetic expectation. And, and it, he goes on. There's, there's another result of this hope. He says, "'Be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead. Even though now you're gonna endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold.'" though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. And the first time I read that, I read, it will bring much praise and glory and honor for Jesus, which is, he's worthy. And that's true. But what this is really saying, this isn't saying that we will receive praise and glory and honor for Jesus. It's saying we will receive praise glory and honor from Jesus, that somehow the living hope that we have is that we receive the record of Christ. We receive everything Christ deserves. And so we don't get what all of our sin deserves. We get everything Christ deserves. That's what our hope is. Our hope is the record of Christ. Our hope is this this praise and glory and honor. That's amazing to me. I don't even know. How do we explain it? How do you explain that kind of love? How do you explain that kind of sacrifice? How do you explain that kind of gift? I mean, that gift is way better than the 3D pancake printer. Think about it. You know, Every once in a while you hear about quarterbacks who take their linemen out to fancy dinners and buy them expensive watches. And you're like, of course you do, because those guys save your life all the time. I mean, oh, he's so generous. What a gift. That's not a great gift. You know, the closest that, that I think we can explain this is, you know how mom makes Thanksgiving happen? And mom buys everything and mom cooks everything all day and mom makes sure the table looks great and mom gets everything onto the table. And then imagine you going and sitting down at the table to eat and mom says, thank you so much for joining me at the table. And you're like, okay. (laughs) My pleasure. All I'm doing is eating. And that's kind of what this is. Jesus does everything. He makes the sacrifice for us. He prepares the table for us. We just get to come and eat, and it says somehow that we'll receive praise and glory and honor for that, and that that that's kept for us. That's amazing. That's part of this living hope. That's part of, man, do I look forward to that. I certainly look forward to that. I want to remain faithful. I want that hope to grow in me for that gift. And so in closing, there's just a couple things I think that we can lean into so that the hope in us grows, becomes more alive as living. And so as we think about waiting and how do we wait better, the first handle that I would give you is this. Don't open your gifts on the 25th. Wait. No, I'm kidding. That's a terrible handle. (laughs) Every kid in the room right now is like, I hate you. I hate you. Show me in the Bible where that says. All right. The first thing I would really say is we do have to put our hope in Jesus, and it might seem like a simple thing, and maybe a whole lot of you in the room have said, I've already done that. But maybe some in the room haven't. Maybe there's some in the room that would say, no, my hope has always been in my ability to do this, or my hope has always been in the money that I make, or my hope has always been in this person in my life. But our hope needs to be in Jesus because all of those other things can be shaken. And maybe you're in the room and you need to reposition your hope. You you need to reprioritize. Maybe you made a commitment to Jesus a long time ago but have found yourself over the years kind of getting off by varying degrees and leaning more into money and leaning more into possessions and stuff to give you that certainty of life. And maybe this morning it's just a refocus. Maybe it's just a prayer Okay, Jesus, you are my hope. Become more alive in me. The second thing I would say is this, is that we need to live in hopeful expectation, looking forward. This is a frame of mind. I think we need to get in a better frame of mind sometimes. Think about kids on Christmas Eve, the kids that have seen the tree and they know that there's presents under the tree and they even know exactly which presents have their name on it and they're excited And they're so excited. And then Christmas Eve, you say, okay, time to go to bed. And what do they do? I can't go to bed. I'm so excited. And they don't sleep very well, do they? Because they're so excited. Now, your kids on Christmas morning do not wake up and just like it's a normal day. (sighs) Just lay around in bed, hanging out. No, they pop out of bed. I don't know what your rule is, but me as a kid, we couldn't go into the room until everybody was up. So I'm like, get up, get up. (laughs) Peeking around the corner. There's hopeful expectation. There is something that you are looking forward to that changes the way that you live. We see that in Christ as well. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You see, he endured a tremendous amount of suffering because of what was set before him. The joy that was set before him. Now, what was his joy? Was it a crown? He had a crown. Was it a title? He had a title. Position? He had position. Wealth? He had wealth. You know what the joy that was set before him? It was us. It was us. The thought of spending forever with the redeemed us was the joy that was set before Jesus that allowed him to endure the suffering. And so that same verse then says, fix your eyes on Jesus. As we wait with this hopeful expectation, we look forward to the joy that is set before us. We fix our eyes on Christ and maybe you need to make a hope journal. Maybe you need to start writing down things that give you hope. So that you can lean into that. And lastly, I would say this that's the frame of mind, and this is live in energetic expectation. That's the faithful activity. Hope is not passive, hope is not inactivity. Hope is is living, is being alive, is doing things that stir hope in us and stir hope in other people, not waiting somewhere else. Sometimes people get so caught up in this idea that the moment's happening elsewhere and their moments are always empty. But our moments need not be empty. And so I would ask you this question. What are we doing to bring hope to others? That's our hopeful activity. What are we doing to make Salem a city at peace with God? We want to live in energetic expectation, but there's an activity to that. You see, we have a living hope in us because our hope is alive. Because Christ is living and there is a joy set before us. And so we want to pray that that hope grows and rises in us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I just this morning want to pray the blessing of hope On this congregation, I pray that you would continue to grow hope among us, that hope would rise in our lives, that we would be a people marked by joy and hope and energetic expectation and and energetic activity. As we stand on your sure promises, increase our hope. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.